Yes, sir. Car Sessions in New York City. I'm your host, Javi, currently cruising through Brooklyn, about to bring you that organic car session like only I can. You know, sports. We know this is a sports show, but when I'm cruising through New York City, I tend to veer in different directions away from sports. So just be prepared for that. Um, relatively breaking news. The Buffalo Bills fired their offensive coordinator today, Greg Roman. So now, how often can you say this? And this is very, this is very funny to me. How often can you say that an offensive coordinator gets fired the day after his offense puts up 24 points? That's that's crazy, right? Like, what's really going on in Buffalo? That's my question. They owe it to, as I said on the sports report on Monday, this was a need win. This was a big game for whoever won the game in terms of the Jets and the Buffalo Bills. And we see the fallout of an 0-2 start. Granted, I said week one, you don't overreact. But certain coaches are under different levels of pressure. Tyle Bowles is under pressure. He couldn't afford to go 0-2. Rex Ryan couldn't afford to go 0-2. He got the vote of confidence, which is usually dreaded in sports. But we see that losing that game, somebody had to lose their job. The person who fell on the sword, sad to say, Greg Roman. But what's killing me is that the Buffalo Bills couldn't stop a parked car last night. Had the Jets looking like the greatest show on turf. Had had had, had Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall looking like Chris Carter and Randy Moss back in 98. How is it possible? How? Like, somebody needs to explain this to me. How can you look so putrid on defense and fight an offensive coordinator who put up 24 points? I I read an article on the, the play calling is questionable. Certain certain scenarios, certain situational football, you know, they didn't they didn't execute. They didn't even call the right plays. They didn't have the right personnel packages. I can understand that. But offense. Like, did you just fire the guy for the sake of firing him? You fired Greg Roman because you're mad, you're 0-2, and you needed to shake things up? Why not fire your brother, Rex? Rob Ryan hasn't had a good a good defense since his first year, I think, in uh, New Orleans. New Orleans had a, a, a resurgent year, and then every year after that, they got progressively worse. I think when he was a D coordinator at Dallas, they were pretty solid. But the past three years as he, that he's been a defensive coordinator, all he's done is put on, put on the field really bad defenses, getting out-schemed embarrassingly. Even last night, the combination of Rob Ryan and Rex Ryan got out-schemed by Chan Gailey. But you fire Greg Roman. If I was Greg Roman, I would go see Rex Ryan or when Rex told him, yo, you're fired, we would have fought right then and there. Like, let's get a shaking right now. Let's fight right now. How you gonna fire me after my team put up 24 points and y'all couldn't stop anything? Fire both of us. I wasn't leaving that office. You're not firing me just to prove a point. I'm a grown man. <laughs> Where they do that at? That's my question. I know. I know. I might not get an answer to it, but it's like I'm a little confused as to how people can lose their jobs while doing their jobs. You you trying to tell me that? Greg Roman is not part of the reason why Tyrod Taylor got a new contract in the offseason. 
Tyrod Taylor had a great year. Nobody saw anything from Tyrod Taylor coming. The Blake Holler was was a problem then, huh? What's going on in Buffalo? What's going on in Buffalo? Can somebody tell me? If Rex Ryan doesn't get fired at the end of this season, and I, I need y'all to understand something, I'm not the kind of guy that just out here calling for people's jobs. Unless you're the coach of my teams. I have beef with coaches of my teams when they suck and I want them gone. But generally speaking, I'm not trying to see Rex lose his job. But if you out here firing offensive coordinators and not living up to the hype that you put on yourself, yeah, we trying to make the playoffs. We trying to do big things. I'm Rex Ryan. If you can't live up to the expectations that you've placed on yourself, you need to go. Firing a guy who doesn't deserve to be fired. But you know what? I'll give Rex Ryan this much credit. At least he was proactive in firing the guy. Which leads me to my next point. How is it possible that Jeff Fisher still has a job? The Rams, they have not put up on the field the past three or four years anything that resembles an offense, an NFL caliber offense. They have failed to do so. Come on, man. Watch out the way, bro. Like, what are you doing? They have failed to do so. Opening night, Monday night football, the last game of week one. Most eyes are on you. You go out there and you score a grand total of zero points. You draft a quarterback with the first pick overall. And you plan on benching him for the entire season. I saw a headline that says it would be ideal if golf sat for the entire year. So what did you draft him for? Why did you pick golf? I'm confused. What, what, what is the brain trust in Los Angeles, formerly St. Louis, thinking? Carson Wentz is out here looking solid with like a smidgen of preseason experience, but you draft a guy who's not even bro ready? Then you go out there, you don't score any points week one? I, I'm, 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 a little, I'm a little taken aback as to... What the thought process is in Los Angeles, formerly St. Louis. They don't even deserve to be called the Los Angeles Rams while Jeff Fisher is there. They should just be the Rams. That's it. Not Los Angeles. Not even they don't they not even they don't even deserve the St. Louis moniker that they used to have. They're just the Rams. They're not even just the Rams. They're just NFL team. Generic NFL team. This guy's running this operation like he's the, 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 the 80s and the 90s where you draft a quarterback and you just sit him for a while. If he couldn't play and he wasn't prepared to play, what the hell did you draft him for? Then I'm going to the to, to the ownership group. I know owners they like to have stability when it comes to the coach and the GM and things of that nature. But what has the coach and the GM done to deserve these extensions that I keep reading about? What? What have they done? I just ran a red light. What have they done? Be proactive, Los Angeles, because the L.A. media is not going to give you a pass for an entire season because you're the hot new thing. L.A. has a short attention span as a city. They like winners. You're in the Coliseum. That, that fits nearly 100,000 seats. You can't afford to do business in L.A. and not make money. You can't, you can't afford to do business in L.A. and not put up a glamorous offense. 
LA likes glamour. LA likes show. LA loves Showtime. That's why when the Lakers were good back in the 80s, Showtime was a lifestyle. It wasn't just the way they played. It was it embodied LA's culture. So you bring in this blue-collar, bogus football offense to LA, they're not going to embrace you, buddy. So LA ownership group. You see what Buffalo did, what Rex Ryan did? Although I don't agree with it, he was proactive. He saw a change needed to be made, whether it was the right change that needed to be made, and he made it. So LA, stop playing. Get rid of Jeff Fisher for your own good. He wants to do things the prehistoric way, and it's not going to work out. Goff might not be a good quarterback, but going where he's gone, under Jeff Fisher's tutelage you, you're, you're sabotaging any chance he has To be marginally good He can't play You guys are not even playoff contenders What reason does this rookie have to not play At least let him get a feel for the game If you put him on the field right If he's really that bad You know what you have You have an idea of what you have Going forward or you know what You see he has some strengths You see he has certain weaknesses And you know what If it's too much for him to play right now He got a taste He got the experience And you bet him You go back to your other bum juice quarterback Because it's not like you have a better option Case Keenum <laughs> Get a grip Los Angeles You guys are failing miserably At running a football team Oh we got a defense we, we put that defense together. We have Todd Gurley. You got Todd Gurley because your offense has been so bad that you couldn't win games, so you got a high draft pick. That's how you got Todd Gurley. Let's talk about it. So Los Angeles, do yourself a favor. Get rid of Jeff Fisher. Cut bait. Pay him off. Or if he's a lame duck, I got to check his contract situation. But if he's a lame duck, let him go at the end of the season. Or whatever you do, do not give him an extension. Don't do it. Please, let Jeff Fisher and his mustache go talks football on some pregame show somewhere. He doesn't need to be coaching in the NFL right now. He refuses to understand that the game is passionate. We're going to run. We're going to win. We're going to play winning football by, run, by running the ball. And playing defense Unless you have a slew of Extremely talented players Like the Seattle Seahawks did When they won their Super Bowl And nearly won their second Super Bowl You're not winning that way in the NFL Notice The second time that the, the Seahawks Got to the Super Bowl They had embraced the pass a little bit more Understanding that running the ball and playing defense Would not be enough To get a championship you can out-physical a team, but unless you have a Richard Sherman on the squad and you have Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, Bennett on the line, Bruce Irvin at the time, you're not going to win that way. They had a lot of elite-level players. You have a good defense. You got a couple of name-brand players, but you don't have what they had. And, and the Seattle Seahawks at that time, they looked like a division one team going up against Division One AA teams at that time when they were really winning at a high level. They were bigger at every position on defense. They were huge. The smallest guy on that defense was their free safety, Earl Thomas. Outside of that, you had humongous players everywhere. They out you because they were simply bigger and more athletic than you. 
You don't have that in Los Angeles. So don't call yourself Jeff Fisher trying to emulate the Seattle blueprint or San Fran. San Fran tried to play offense, and Harbaugh was an offensive mind, still is an offensive mind. So you can't even pull the San Fran card, and San Fran was just as big as Seattle. That's what made their rivalry so interesting because you had two teams that were physically imposing, constantly running and smashing into each other to, imp- to see who had the better will between the two teams. Again, Rams, you don't have players of that quality. So stop playing yourself trying to emulate a brand that you don't have the tools to do so with. So Los Angeles front office, I can't help but repeat myself. I have to repeat myself. Get rid of Jeff Fisher. Get an offensive mind in there. Keep the D coordinator around because he's already proven that he can he can put a strong defense together. But you get Fisher out of there, you get an offensive-minded coach there. To mold this quarterback and get him on the field. You didn't draft him first to have him sit. This is not the 1990s. It's not the 1980s. It's not the 1970s. You don't bench number one overall pick quarterbacks. You have a coach there sabotaging you and you want to give him more money? I hate to sound like I'm getting too takey, like I'm giving a bunch of takes, but I'm a sports fan first, listeners. I am a sports fan. I know what winning football looks like. I know what losing football looks like. And I'll I'll ask you this question, and I want you to ask yourself this question. What has Jeff Fisher done outside of a couple of good years in Tennessee and ruining Vince Young that warrants all the leeway the Rams that play in a city that they don't deserve to to play in to give him that leeway? What has he done to deserve the leeway they're giving him? What has he done? A Super Bowl appearance in a couple of good seasons in Tennessee doesn't make him a football guru who gets all the rope he needs. Get him out of here for the greater good of the franchise. You got to do that, man. And the GM, too. Since since no GM wants to come in and not pick his head coach, they both got to go. Simple as plat. Simple as plat. Simple as that. I was going to say, I want to say plain and simple and simple as that. And I ended up as simple as plat. No, this is not 12 years a slave. We're not talking about plat. We're not talking about him at all. But yeah, man, yo, I'm cruising through Brooklyn right now, man. No traffic. Only saw one cop knock on one. Hopefully, you know, the cops don't cause any problems, you know, because it's Friday. They might be looking for some action. But I I don't like the fact that this traffic is flowing so smoothly. I'm a little concerned that I might run into a a patch of traffic that, that I wasn't anticipating in a location that doesn't normally have traffic. All drivers know sometimes no traffic is either too good to be true or is a blessing that will never be recreated. I'm hoping for the latter right now. But yeah, let's 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 shift gears. I, yeah. Just took care of business. Beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. I'm seeing a lot of chitter chat about Josh Norman not covering Antonio Brown. You know what? You know, his comment about people at the top trying to pull you down, he being Josh Norman responding to Victor Cruz. I mean, I see what he's saying. But there's a difference between, you know, having haters and people wanting to pull you down and people who are your contemporaries who don't respect you. You get what I'm saying? They don't respect you. That's the difference. You know, you look around at like the the other elite corners who put in gears with this. Patrick Peterson, Revis Resort, who used to be Revis Island. 
Richard Sherman, as I mentioned earlier. Those are the three, I would say, most prominent names that are out there. I think Joe Hayden is another big name cornerback out there. But the first three names, I mean, those are the guys who are the preeminent cornerbacks in the NFL. They've been the guys who've made that position what it is today. Not D'Angelo Hall. D'Angelo Hall is one of the most overrated players of the modern NFL. Coming into the league, there has not been a guy more overrated, in my opinion, than D'Angelo Hall. But going back to Josh Norman, I had to let that pause for a second because I, I know some of y'all might disagree and I wanted y'all to think about that. D'Angelo Hall is overrated. He's yeah, whatever. But when you go back to Josh Norman and his contemporaries... People who are on his level. Not many people respect him. Look how Carolina treated him. Carolina was willing to let him go. And it's like there's times where teams are being cheap, but the way they treated Norman, it was almost like, go ahead, leave. We don't want you here. He complained about being censored. He complained about being held back by the Panthers. The Panthers didn't want certain things for him and all this and that. And it's like, you got to really wonder, like, Obviously, Carolina sees something that they didn't want to keep him around. You know what I mean? You also got to look at the way certain players discuss Norman. They don't respect him. They don't respect this crap. They don't think he's as good as the media has propped him up to be. And then week one, arguably the best receiver in the world is on the opposing team. And you don't defend him for, for more than a couple of plays? What best corner in the world would allow his defensive coordinator to scheme him out of the best possible matchup for him? Cornerbacks and wide receivers are one in the same in terms of mentality. The receiver wants to destroy the corner who's supposedly the best to prove he's the best. And the corner wants to destroy the receiver who says he's the best to prove he's the best. And you allowed your D coordinator to scheme you out of that matchup? Really? Really, Josh? All that guaranteed money you got And you want it to be just one of the guys That people just want to pull you down that's a, that's a bad look for you brother When you really sit and you think about it That's one of the biggest L's of his career I don't think he's ever going to be able to live that down He's going to have to like take a touchdown back in the Super Bowl and, like, and win the Super Bowl with that run back to live that down And I'm not just saying that and they can say, oh, it's, you know, with the way things are right now, people have short memories. Not with cornerbacks. People remember everything a cornerback doesn't do. Cornerbacks and quarterbacks, to me, in football, are the two positions where people remember everything that you do not do. If you're a bad quarterback or you're a great quarterback and you went to the championship game or the Super Bowl and you crapped the bed and you failed to perform at the level that you lived up to or you had played to up until that point, people will never forget that game or the interception you might have threw for 300 yards. But people will never forget that one interception you threw in crunch time to blow the game. Same thing for cornerbacks. You claim you're the best cornerback in the world and a wide receiver blows you up for a thousand yards and 500 catches. We're never gonna let that go. Real, you could you could have a great highlight and you'd be like, yo, he had a great game. Cornerback A had a great game, but yo, I still think about that time that that receiver blew him up. Yo, who 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 would have thought that would happen to him? And that's what happened to Josh Norman. We're gonna talk about Norman making plays for the rest of his career, but we're always gonna look back to the night that he did not want and he I did not want, but he allowed he allowed his coach to scheme him out of the best possible matchup for him. 
He's never living that down. He is never going to live that down. So when you when you talk about your contemporaries and people pulling you down and all this and that, I think the reason why Josh Norman is the way he is in terms of his personality is because he's very self-aware. He's very self-conscious about the fact that a lot of his guys, a lot of a lot of his peers don't respect him. A lot of his peers feel like he's a one-hit wonder who doesn't deserve the money he got. Like he had a lot of his peers, he feels like feel like he got paid because he waited to have his best year possible in the contract game. He's not really as good as, you know, advertised. I know I said that before, but, like, that's what it amounts to. And the ego of the athlete, as I always talk about here, the ego of the athlete forces you to think and move a certain kind of way on the field. Which is why, I'm again, I go back to the fact that you allowed your coordinator to scheme you. Like, you were okay with that? You didn't, Like, you didn't think about what the fallout would be of being schemed out of that matchup? I wouldn't have stood for that if I were you, brother. So what you trying to say? When you play the Giants in a week from now, you're going to allow your D coordinator to scheme you out of the Odell matchup, or you're going to make it your business to defend Odell? Huh? Which goes back to my next question about what's really going on between the two of y'all. Like, it's a little weird. Like, like the feelings y'all had towards each other, it's a little weird. Huh? Because I know you're not going to let him scheme you out of that Odell matchup, but you let him scheme you out of the AB matchup? <laughs> a little tricky there, buddy. That being said, week two against Dallas, if I don't see you, if I don't see you up against Des Bryant for 65% of those matchups with Dak Prescott as the quarterback, I'm going to start looking at you like, yo, Josh Norman took the bread and he knows he's not that good. And that's really what I'm going to start talking about you like. That simple. It's that simple. Jo- I'm, I don't want to throw the effort on you, Josh Norman, but I'm going to start calling you a fraud if you're not guarding deaths with 65% of the snaps. It's that simple. Cost us just in New York City. If you if you catch it, it's halfway through. I am your host, Jarvi. <laughs> Riding through Brooklyn. Got Meek Mill playing in the background. I mean, Meek Mill, he does some questionable things. You know, sometimes people look at him sideways, sometimes people don't, but he makes hot records from time to time, and you got to respect that. Apparently, he's beefing with the game. The game might have an album coming out. I don't believe any of these beefs. All of a sudden, the game is in Miami talking about Meek Mill out of nowhere, and people are shooting at him and all this and that. This is well, this is well-placed rap album promo, because I believe he already had a single out like a, I saw a month ago. So that means in about another three weeks or so, or maybe around Halloween, he's gonna drop an album. Real convenient game. Don't <laughs> we see you, buddy? Only way I'm gonna believe this beef is is legitimate is if the disc record stuff flying and, and physical altercations come afterwards. Otherwise, this is just WWE in the rap game, and they pumping up the next big album to drop for the industry. We don't believe you. You need more people. You know, for those who I was talking about, where there's a Jay Z quote for every moment in life. There you have it. Another Jay Z quote. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> last week NBA had their Hall of Fame ceremony, and you know, it, was a, it was a pretty great class. You know, three big names in particular who were part of that class: Yao Ming, Allen Iverson, the Diesel Shaquille O'Neal Lakers legend. You know, I gotta throw that in there. Lakers Nation, we in the building. But I'm starting to really wonder about Shaquille O'Neal. 
I'm starting to think that Shaquille O'Neal has a lot of regrets when it comes to his career. Like a lot of regrets. Or or he's he's in that weird space of retired athlete where you see in the league has changed. You start to see that you know certain things in terms of basketball are, are getting forgotten where Shaq is concerned. So like parts of his career, people are not really like highlighting like they should. So he says and does certain things to make sure that he's still in the news cycle. People still have to talk about Shaq. You know, recently he said. The, the 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 jump shooting big man came about because bigs coming into the league didn't want to bang with Shaq in the paint. Yes, he said that if you missed it. <laughs> you know, the way he talks about Dwight Howard, the way he talks about certain matchups, certain guards and all this and that. You can see that like he misses the times where Shaq was the center of the world. He was the big man, the biggest man in the paint. Not say, basically saying that Tim Duncan doesn't deserve, you know, some of the ac- not the accolades, but the the all-time rankings. I think he kind of scoffed at that. You're starting to see now that 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 bitterness. And then another thing happened, you know, during the Hall of Fame speeches, you see Allen Iverson. You know, he didn't have to, but he saluted Kobe. You know, he said Kobe brought the best out of him. But then Shaq, you know, in a joke. Mentions Kobe talking about thanks for getting me traded to Miami, and it's just like you gotta bring that up again, Shaq. You gotta bring that up again. You know, Shaq knows that he would have preferred to to finish finish his career in L.A. How many times he said, you know, things could have been done a little bit differently. He saw how Kobe got to go out twenty years strong. Retirement send off having his numbers on the court drop 60 legendary moments and he left his, he left the game as a journeyman Shaquille O'Neal did I bet y'all don't remember that Shaquille O'Neal was a journeyman at the end of his career he went where did he go he went from Miami to Phoenix to Cleveland to Boston that's not the way an all-time great is supposed to wrap up his career. You get what I'm saying? So when he talks now, it's like you can hear the pain. You can hear some of the bitterness in his voice. You can hear it, man. You can really hear it. And it's like Shaq, man, as a sports fan, we don't want you to be bitter. You're still the diesel. You're on the best, you're on one of the best sports shows on television inside the NBA, you know. You came on the show, you joined, you joined Chuck, you joined Kenny the Jet, and, and, and things went swimmingly. It was like, they didn't miss a beat. So just be that guy. Be all-time great Shaq. Be, be most dominant center ever, Shaq. But don't be bitter, man. Let, let, this, let this new wave, let this new generation get what they deserve. They put the time in. LeBron put the time in. D-Wade and et cetera. Those guys put the time in. Steph Curry and them on a come-up. KD. Let these guys live, man. It's only right. I know some of y'all gonna disagree with me about it. You know, like, what are you talking about, man? Shaq is not bitter, but, you know, go back and pull up all the, re- the recent Shaq quotes. And, find, and, and, and make note of the negative things that were said and, and, or the things that he didn't necessarily have to say because nobody asked him to say it in the first place. You know what I'm saying? And you'll see 
He's in that weird space where he was a supremely popular athlete that's no longer in the spotlight and is having issues adjusting to not being in the spotlight. The ego of the athlete is real, people. Canelo's fighting this weekend. I don't know if anybody cares, you know. I just feel like at this point, Canelo and Triple G need to fight. They need to fight already. The light is green. Like, why are you not driving, man? Come on. New Yorkers, be they, they either not paying attention or they are overly aggressive. There's no in-between when it comes to driving in New York City. But Canelo and Triple G need to make this fight happen. You fighting a dude that nobody really cares about, and then you got the nerve to have it on pay-per-view. Who's buying that? It's going to be like 150,000 buys, maybe 200 tops. I'm not sure if Canelo is still enough of a draw to fight a, a schmo and, do a, and pop a number. People, you know, people want to invest in boxing. People, because you know, at the end of the day, unlike MMA, more often than not, a boxing event is going to happen as planned. You don't got to worry about weeks of promo going out the window because somebody broke a knuckle in training camp. You know, the fight is going to happen. But we need that. We need the next generation money fight to happen so that we can go forward. Triple G versus Canelo needs to happen because the culture, the boxing culture, needs it to happen. So I'm talking to you, Canelo Alvarez. Stop playing, brother. You see Kovalev and Water about to fight. Look how long Water was sitting. And Water ready, what? Took him, what, two tune-up fights? Three tune-up fights, and he's already money fight. Not waiting until 2017 to maximize opportunity. No. Make this fight happen. There's a lot There's a lot of names floating around in the, in the boxing game right now. The fight game is, is kind of loaded. It's not no, it's no, it's no box office draws like... A Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao already has one foot out the door, but you have a lot of guys who are really good who are on the verge of something spectacular. So we can't keep holding off these fights. These fights need to start happening, and they need to start happening in bunches before people forget about you, Canelo. You're gonna, you, you, you have a chance to cross over into the mainstream. The Cotto fight was a big fight, and you haven't followed that yet, and you're not big enough to where people are gonna follow you. So, that being said, it bears repeating. Hurry up. Make the Triple G fight. I've, I've read things that it's going to be November 2017. That, that fight needs to happen in May 2017. That needs to be the Cinco de Mayo fight 2017. There's no reason why this fight should be pushed back until May. Cinco de Mayo, which we already know that weekend is a big fight weekend in boxing, needs to have Canelo Alvarez and Triple G. I don't want to hear anything else about anything else. All right? Make the fight, Canelo. I know I, I sound frustrated. I am. I want to sneeze, but I'm not trying to sneeze in y'all ear. You know, I get allergies from time to time, and the sneeze is like I've been fighting it for like the past 10 minutes. I think I'm doing a pretty decent job. What y'all think? But yeah, uh, Playoff races in baseball Looking kind of spectacular Major League Baseball has succeeded In making The wild card matter Even more than it already does Quick tangent I've been trying to get my I'm wondering why my car feels so high right Had the air on in here Trying to cool off And it keeps feeling like it's blowing hot air And I'm sitting here like Yo why is it blowing hot air bro I'm like what's going on I'm trying to do the, do the session And be comfortable all the while, I didn't have the AC on. Smart guy, right? <laughs> so I literally just pushed the button. Jeez. 
You know, I, I could be honest. I'm not. I'm. I'm not without flaw. Every now and again, I have a brain fart or two. You know. But I salute baseball for doing what's necessary. You know, the second wild card is 162 games. Imagine that back in the day, baseball, 154, 162 games, and only four teams would make the playoffs. Like, what are we playing the season? <laughs> what are we playing the season for? Just for two teams from each league to make the playoffs? That's ridiculous. So to have now five teams, three divisions per league, and five teams makes the playoffs, although it's just simply a play-in game, I think it's a one-game wild-card playoff, that's okay. That is okay. You, you, once you're in the game, you have a shot. And I applaud baseball for doing that. And seeing now that you have a race in the American League where four teams are separated with, I believe, four, two games. And then in the National League, there's three teams separated by a game. Baseball has succeeded in making baseball matter all season long. As opposed to again to September, we know all the divisions are wrapped up and we're just waiting for the playoffs. We have a playoff race. All that's going to come down probably to the last day of the season. So I want to commend baseball for that. I like sports that are proactive and they do what's necessary to, to make things interesting, to spice things up as opposed to staying with the status quo because it's the tradition. Tradition is played out in some regards. You have to do what's best for business. You know, and then the last thing before I get out of here, whole Colin Kaepernick deal. By the way, it's still no traffic here. This is amazing. I'm going to actually go to the barbershop. But uh, this whole Kaepernick story, you know, weeks later, it, and we're still talking about respecting the flag and, you know, the troops. Like, seriously? Even after he tells you this has nothing to do with the troops. It has nothing to do with the flag and all this and that. But it has everything to do with race relations in America. Why are we still talking about the troops? Why are we still making players or other teams who are joining the quote-unquote movement? Why are we still making it a news story? Why are we calling them disrespectful? You know, people are really upset. You know, I go, I go on Twitter... And I read some of these tweets, and there's a lot of people upset. They're highly upset with these players, calling them apes, calling them all kinds of funny names. And by funny, I mean questionable, not hilarious funny. Calling them all kinds of names that make you look at the whole situation and, and be like, wow, America. The player that started it all is talking about race issues. He's, he's, being, he's, elo he's very eloquent, surprisingly. I, I didn't know he spoke that well. Very eloquent, speaks clearly, takes his time to point out what the issues are. And then there's people out here calling him an ape and saying they should be grateful and be happy. And all these people being disrespectful around the league, all the players who have taken knees or put their fist up in solidarity. <sighs> Guys, you don't see you don't see what's happening here. You in in some respects, you're proving them right. You're proving Kaepernick right. You need to look inside yourself. Like I said before, I understand the protest. It was a silent protest. I understand everything he's talking about because because he's discussing he's discussing real things in America. He's stating the obvious, but his approach allowed the media to swarm, poison the well, and force people to change the narrative 
bait and switch and talk about troops that this has nothing to do with. Then you go to Adam Jones in Baltimore talking about as a white man sport and that ruffles people's feathers and you know it's like America we're the land of the free right why does the truth make so many people uncomfortable why why is him saying Adam Jones that is saying baseball is a white man sport oh oh my god he shouldn't say that what about all the Latin and Hispanic players there's a lot of brown there we know that we know that there's a lot of you know Hispanic ball players that play baseball we get it but well, what is the majority? He didn't say anything that wasn't, you know, it, it's not like he's in a locker room full of black dudes and he could take a knee and be comfortable. He has to take that knee and then be around a lot of white players who, who uh, and baseball is not an easy sport to play. There's a lot of players who are white who came from tough beginnings. Don't get me wrong. But there's still just as much white players who didn't come from tough beginnings. They, they were all right. They were, I'm not going to say they were well off. They weren't living in Beverly Hills, throwing money in the air. But they were all right, middle class white people who didn't have to experience the things that Adam Jones might have had to experience. So he can't go in a situation where he's an extreme minority. Yeah, there's black baseball players. But majority of the darker toned baseball players, they're, they're not black Americans. They're from the Dominican Republic, they're from Puerto Rico, they're from Cuba, some are from the Netherlands. So their experiences are not the same to some degree. Don't get me wrong, it's still, it's still racism in those countries. And, it, and it's not even about white on black racism, it's about color, skin color racism. Like, like lighter toned people have issues with darker toned people, although they're both brown and black. It's amazing. But it's only so much heat. It's only so much he can do in a situation where he's surrounded by people that that can't relate. Like he's, you know, like how, how much traction would it get? It's not many brothers there. More than anything else, he would need one of his white teammates or one of his white constituents in baseball to get down with the plight for, for it to really resonate with his people, with the fan base. Because also remember. These stories are newsworthy because baseball, excuse me, basketball and football, they're followed by a lot of black people. There's a lot of black athletes, a lot of black people watch that sport. Baseball is not followed by blacks like that. I go to baseball games. I'm a, I love the Mets. The last game I went to, I was surrounded by white people. No, I'm not uncomfortable with it. Like, I love people. Let's get this straight. I'm not a sociopath. Do I have issues with things that people do as a whole human being? Absolutely. But generally speaking, I love I love everybody. All races. I'll chop it up at anybody. Anybody. But I'm just trying to show you that the demographic in baseball doesn't speak to the minorities like that. So he would take a protest. And you know what? It's, you know, he's doing it for the right thing. But at the same time, there's a lot of things on the peripheral that would make things extremely uncomfortable for Adam Jones. And it's the thing about that. It's like, you know, this is not the 60s. You know, it's a different time. So we can't compare and say, well, people did this back then as opposed to people did that now. Because there's a lot more at stake now. It's, it's, it's so tricky, you know, because we're still individuals. We're still, we're still races that we get grouped together. But we're still individuals. And when you think about it, there's a lot of things that Adam Jones might have to deal with that he's not comfortable dealing with. So he's not going to protest. 
And I need people to understand that. And I need people to understand. So what if he said baseball is a white man's sport? It is. Accept the truth. All right, enough politicizing. I just wanted to talk about that. But yo, uh, the sports report be back on Monday. Florida State has a big game. Florida State Louisville is the game of the weekend. NFL Week 2 is in full swing. I'm excited, people. I think football is going to be good to me this year. I think football is going to be real good to me this year. So, you know, whenever you get this, you know, whether it be tonight or sometime tomorrow, sometime Sunday, I hope you have a good weekend. Traffic is still good over here, believe it or not. And you know what? Until next time, which will be Monday live, the sports report. I'm out of here. Peace. Honk the horn for you real quick. Car sessions.